Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. Oh, man, I have so much anticipation for how the Lord is moving right now uh, throughout the body of Christ, not just our church, but other churches and our community. Pastor Rick, our lead pastor, he got back from a sabbatical. It's really the first sabbatical he's taken in over 20 years. We've been trying to get him to take a sabbatical for a while, and he finally took one. But he was sharing uh, just a, a few weeks ago, uh, or rather he was telling us when he got back that a few weeks ago, he woke up in the middle of the night, and the way he described it was just that he was really concerned about the body of Christ, concerned about the church. And so he immediately just started to pray and, and just ask the Lord, you know, to speak and to give him some, some direction on, on what he needed to pray about. And he felt like the Lord told him very clearly, my people don't fear me. And so I don't know what your church background is. Like when I say that, I don't know what it means. Some of you, you have the wrong kind of fear of God. Your, your fear is about being scared. Your fear is about guilt and shame and condemnation. And I better do all these good things or I'm going to go to hell. And that is not from the Lord. And it is not the fear of the Lord that I'm talking about. When you understand a holy balanced fear of the Lord, really what it means is this. I don't want to ever do anything that would separate me from being able to connect to him. I don't want to ever do anything that would cause me to miss what he wants to say, what he wants to do. I don't want to do anything that would put me in a place that would create insecurity in me that I couldn't confidently come to him. That's what the fear of the Lord really means. And, and I think that that is certainly a message that the Lord's been resonating in my heart. Like it was, it was, it's encouraging when you can tell that you're in step with what God is trying to speak. And, and all of us campus pastors, man, we started saying that's like, yeah, we've been, we've been thinking and feeling the same thing. I will say that it's not always easy to articulate what it is that we feel like needs to adjust. I think it's really hard for me. I, I'm what you would consider a doer, okay? Like you can almost across the board, you can kind of put people in two different categories. There's doers and there's feelers, right? And so I could ask right now, who are the doers? And the doers are gonna put their hands up like right away. Like, they're, oh, yeah, we're doers, let's get it, let's go, let's do it. And the feelers like, as long as we talked about it for a while and just talk about your feelings and all that, like eventually you'd be like, I am, you know? And you'd, it'd be emotional, it'd be awesome. But, but because I'm more of a doer, I will say, and if you've been around here for a while, maybe you can tell that this is something that I, I have to have the Lord help me with. Because I'm a doer, I can be a little more religious sometimes. I can be a little more legalistic sometimes. I, I, and sometimes it comes across like I'm being critical or even judgmental. Those that know me really well know that that's not who I am and it's not my heart. But... But when I was thinking about this, like, yeah, the fear of the Lord, but Lord, you know me. Like, I don't want to come in guns blazing. 
And so I want you to know, like I've already had a couple of people come up and tell me this morning, it's like you're supposed to announce when we're supposed to wear our steel-toed boots. <laughs> uh, and, and, and what they meant is, you're stepping on my toes, Pastor. Uh, I think sometimes that is my, my responsibility. So I want you to know, this morning it may feel a little bit like that, but I want you to also know that if you're feeling condemnation, that is not from God. And that is not my heart. If you are feeling condemnation, it may be because the enemy is trying to distract you with condemnation to keep you away from conviction. There's a chance that that could happen. But I want you just, even if you feel yourself like starting to kind of stiff arm what the Lord may try to speak this morning, I think that's a good time for you to just say, Lord, help me have an open heart. Help me have an open heart. I don't want to, I'll just go ahead and pray that over us right now. Father, right now, all over this room, we are in so many different places and phases and stages of understanding who we are in you and who you are. None of us profess to be great theologians. None of us profess to, to be perfect or have it all together. We are, we are all just in need of you and we're in need of your grace and your mercy. And we know that sometimes, Lord, your word it is that double-edged sword that cuts through. And I thank you, God, that you're the great physician that if you need to cut, it's only to make us better. So if there is any of that that needs to happen, I pray that we would be open and tender, ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. The Paul would write, he'd write letters to churches in the New Testament. Uh, you call them the epistles. A lot of you thought that the epistles were the wives of the apostles, but that's not what they are. The epistles were letters to churches. And a lot of times when Paul would write these letters, there was encouragement in it for sure. There was exhortation. Sometimes there was rebuke. And, and this is what I would say. If Paul were alive today, he would definitely be writing a letter to the church in America. He would definitely write a letter and there might be some encouragement, but there would be exhortation. And I think that there would be some rebuke. Like you've just gotten off track. You've just, you, you just lost your way a little bit. And, and he would talk about our role as a body of Christ in relation to the culture that God has placed us in. In Hebrews 12, one through two, it says this, let us throw off everything. Everybody say everything. That hinders and, everybody say and. The sin that so easily entangles. So that, that word and in there is so important because what this is saying is there are things that can entangle you and hold you back that aren't sin. And it's saying throw off everything. Everything. So there are things that we have in our lives that are not sin, but that doesn't mean that they're what God wants us to focus on. So as, as we're talking through this, and I asked Pastor Rick, it's like, Pastor Rick, like, I get it, and I'm passionate about this, and I don't want myself, I don't want our church, I don't want any of us to miss out on what God is trying to do, what God is trying to say, but sometimes the way it comes across when I say it, it may not come across in a way like Jesus would say it. How do I say it? He's like, James, I understand. I actually, we, I was having a conversation with an older wise man in our church, and he said, Pastor Rick, this is what I think we should encourage our people with. Simply this. We are praying that the people of the body of Christ, not just our church, but the church, that we would simply love God more than we like sin. 
that we would simply love God more than we love football. That we would simply love God more than we love our hobbies. That we would simply love God, yes, even more than we love our own families. That we would love God more than everything. Because if we will love God more than everything, everything else will fall in order. It'll find its rightful place in priority. But we're praying that we just simply love God more than all those things. The problem is this verse, so many of us are living in opposition to this. So many people are seeing how close can I get to sin instead of saying how close can I get to God? How close can I get to him? So we're in this series, Jonah, last week we talked about chapter one and we'll review a little bit of that, but he was a prophet. But the thing about Jonah was he loved the Lord and he was a carrier of his word. But one day that stopped, one conversation and it was like, that. it was over. And at that point he loved his way. When we love our way more than God's, it does become sin every time. And he went from being a godly man to a foolish rebel. I think it's a question all of us, if we are honest with, have you ever refused to do something that the Lord asked you to do? I have. I have. The chances are that at the time, you probably didn't think that it was foolish. But looking back, I think you would say that was definitely dumb. I wish I would have been obedient. But the obvious question is this, why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Why didn't we want to go to Nineveh? In short, they were wicked. They needed to be judged according to Jonah. Jonah's thinking, why would you want me to go to such a wicked place and tell such a wicked people about your pending judgment? Just judge them, God. Just judge them. You don't need, need, need me to tell them anything. Just kill them all. He hated them so much he didn't want them to be saved. I think there's a chance that the church is equally frustrated with the direction of our nation and our culture right now. But here's the thing. We may all have things that we say that we hate, okay? But most of them, it's like, I hate bad drivers, okay? Most of us could agree with that. I hate cats, hopefully most of us agree with that. Uh, I, I, I could say I hate a lot of things. Like we, we say things like that. that. That's the reason why, there's a reason why Pastor Rick didn't plant a church anywhere near the University of Alabama, okay? There's a, there's a reason for that, okay? So we may say things like, oh, I hate Bama or I hate LSU, uh, uh, but that's all game hate. It's not real. And if it is, come on, <laughs> like repent, okay? Like, they can get saved if they want. You know, that's between them and God. But, but, but we're not really serious about that. But here's the thing. It's heartbreaking. Many of us are much more serious about our disdain for our current culture. We're, we're serious about it. Some of us have used the word hate and we've meant it. So where are we in relation to God's heart? The truth is there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us, 
there's also a little bit of Nineveh in all of us. So let's look at chapter one one more time. Chapter one, verse one, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. It's kind of a weird name. One of our pastors said Tarshish is probably where they named the sauce Worcestershire. It's kind of like, it's weird to say. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. It also goes on to say that Jonah falls asleep while the ship is breaking apart. This book is about God. It's about God trying to reach a man so that God can reach people. We can see it clearly this way. The fish is mentioned four times. The city is mentioned nine times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times, but God is mentioned 38 times. Jonah is not the hero of the story. God is. And God is trying to be a hero in our lives too. There's three things I think God works on when we're in dark places in our life. The first thing is this, God will work on you to pray again. God will work on you to pray again. Starting tonight with worship and through the rest of of the week, through Friday, we're gonna have opportunities to pray. My prayer would be that this isn't just a thing that is on your calendar. Like, yeah, once a year, I get up a little more early or I, I inconvenience myself a little bit and go to the church and pray for a little bit. For some of you, you're at a turning point in your relationship with the Lord. For some of you, if you don't figure out that God wants to talk to you and he wants you to talk to him, your life is headed in a really scary direction. The fact of the matter is, no matter how you were raised, what your your misconceptions are about prayer, it's simply this. God wants to have a dialogue with you. God wants to talk to you about his feelings. He wants to talk to you about what upsets him, what makes him happy. He wants to tell you all about what he thinks about you, how proud he is of you, how much he loves you, how he's given you a plan and a purpose, a hope and a future. He's called you to be above and not beneath, a head and not a tail. He's called you to all these things. He just wants to have conversation. He wants to have an honest conversation with you and he wants you to have an honest conversation with him and he wants it to be daily. He wants it to be honestly without ceasing. Some of you are like, that's not possible. You can't pray that much. You can walk with the spirit of God nonstop and understand you always have access to the throne of God. You can walk in that. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. It's that you are in a constant state in your, in your soul, in your spirit, and in your mind that God is always there and always cares about everything. And he wants to talk about it. And maybe for some of you, this week could be the catalyst where it finally dawns on you, he's always wanted me just to talk to him. And he's always wanted to just talk to me. And you'll live that way. It's an opportunity and I hope that you seize it. Look, I have seen some of you inconvenience yourself to do crazy things that you like that are fun. Come on. 
we're talking about prayer. The word says, if we will humble ourselves, and if we will pray, then he will hear and he will heal. Don't delegate your portion of that prayer to someone else. Come and do your part. But it says this about Jonah. Starting in chapter 2, our main text for today. Then, everybody say then. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I call out in my distress to the Lord. And he answered me. I called for help from the depth of Sheol, which is the same word for hell. Sheol. Then. Then he prayed. Here's the thing. He didn't pray all of chapter 1. Not one part. He didn't pray when God said, go to Nineveh. He didn't pray when he headed to Joppa. When he bought a one-way ticket, he didn't pray. He didn't even pray about what boat to get on. When the storm hit that could have killed him, he didn't pray. He didn't go to the other sailors and say, we should pray. When he got thrown overboard and he's sinking to the bottom of the sea, he didn't pray. When he initially got swallowed by the whale or fish, he didn't even pray then. It took him a while. And it says, and then he prayed. God was waiting and waiting and waiting for him just to talk to him. But only the antithesis happened over and over. And just so you know, even me as a pastor, even preachers can live or lead a prayerless life. We can run away from the Lord worse than anybody. We can start out in love with God and look like we're serving the Lord, even making huge decisions about important things, say his name a couple times over a lunch with someone, and all the time faking it. And sadly, like Jonah, sleeping while the storm is raging and never once engaging God in prayer. But I have learned because I have been in seasons and it's easy, honestly, as a pastor to think I'm doing the ministry, that counts. Yeah, it does. Ministry is supposed to be the overflow of my life lived in love with Jesus Christ. So if I'm not praying, I don't have overflow. And then the ministry, it doesn't work that good. But what I've learned in those seasons is I can either walk humbly in conversation and dialogue with the Lord, or I can be humiliated so that I then pray. The truth is, some of us can even be humiliated and still not turn to prayer. Some of us have said, Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I will seek you. And we still didn't seek him. Jonah didn't either. Then Jonah prayed. Then he prayed, and the Lord his God, to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. So I think the question is, when is your then? When is your then? Then, finally. Then, finally. Here's what I would say. There are probably no atheists at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish. 
At one point or another, I don't care how cold-hearted you are at one point or another, you're, you're going to come to this place where death is real. Eternity becomes a reality. And at that point, I promise you, a lot of people are going to cry out. It was said that the, the cosmonauts that are part of the former Soviet Union, when they orbited the earth the first time back in the late 1960s, that the cosmonaut, when he came back, he said, I looked and I looked and I saw no God. Perpetuating the propaganda of an atheist nation, saying, science, our knowledge, our ability, it's enough. There's no God out there. I looked. But here's what I would say. If the oxygen started leaking out of that spaceship, I promise he would have saw God. At that point, he would have, he would, he would have had an encounter at some point. When you feel that, you'll see God. The question is, how long is it gonna take for your then? In Psalm 139, seven, it says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The fact of the matter is you can't escape. When you finally get done running to wherever you're trying to run to, you will still find him there waiting for you. He is like a pint of dark chocolate raspberry ice cream at midnight. He's just waiting. It's always there, just waiting. There's so many then moments in our lives. But Lord just wants your then moment to be sooner than later. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls help God gets help. Number two, God brought Jonah to recall his word. The amazing thing about the Bible, it's the only book that you can read that reads you while you're reading it. But if you don't read it, it doesn't read you. Another way to say is if you don't read it, it doesn't guide you. There's a lot of this talk about find your truth, say your truth. But it's temporary, empty, flawed truth. If you don't have this, you don't have the truth. It's just the bottom line. It's the bottom line. The whole second chapter of Jonah is basically Jonah quoting verses from Psalms and Lamentations. That was his prayer. His prayer was the word of God that was in him, that was in his heart. He didn't directly quote it. It was, it was like a revelation quote, okay? There are verses that almost all of us could probably quote, like John three sixteen. like everybody in this room, you'd fake like you knew it even if you didn't because everyone is supposed to know that verse, right? But, but just because you know how to quote the verse doesn't mean that it's personal. And I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about what is your personal revelatory scripture that is in your heart, that is shaping your identity, that has given you confidence about your love from a heavenly father, the creator of the universe. What are the verses that when everything else fails, everything else lets you down, you know that you can stand on them because they are a part of who you are. Because here's what I know. At your point of pressure, that's what should come out. 
David said it this way in Psalm 119. He said, your word I have treasured and stored in my heart that I might not sin against you. If I was holding an orange up here on stage and you can tell either, even from the back by the size of my forearms, there's a tremendous amount of strength there. Okay, so it wouldn't take much, just a little bit of pressure and that orange would completely disintegrate and there would be orange juice all over everyone in this room, clearly. Why? Because what's on the inside is what comes out when you're under pressure. So what's on the inside of you? And the question is, how much pressure does it take before it comes out? I would suggest this. You don't need much more than a squeeze. Before that, the word of God starts coming out. I always think about people growing up in church and you pray in a circle. I'm so glad we don't do it in this church very often at all where you hold hands. You don't want to hold hands, a bunch of people. I want people holding my hand. I don't like that. My hands are kind of clammy. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But if you grew up around church and you stand in a circle and everybody prays and you're taking turns praise, praying, how do you know when it's the next person's turn? Squeeze. How you know when the prayer's done? Squeeze. I would suggest that's about how much pressure you should have to experience in your life before the word of God just starts welling out. I'm just gonna start, I can feel the enemy. I can feel pressure coming. I'm gonna go ahead and lead the way with the truth so I don't get wrapped up in deceit. I'm gonna go ahead and let this come out. I would guess there's a fair amount of pressure in the belly of a well at the bottom of the ocean. I would venture to say there's a lot there and it was then. It took that much. And Jonah's like, okay, uncle. And the word of God came out of him. The word of God came out of him. Number three, God brought Jonah to the wicked people of the earth. But he hated, Jonah hated the sins. He hated their choices. He hated their lifestyles so much that he didn't want them to have grace. The crazy thing is this, Jonah, he wound up going. We'll talk more about that. It's not like he, he just did. It's like, fine. It's like when you ask your kid to do something, how many of y'all know it's a real struggle? Most of the time they're not like, yes! <laughs> I can't wait to be obedient. Usually it's like, oh, I don't really want to do it. Well, that's, that's what Jonah, but he did it. And here's the crazy thing. He was the most quote-unquote successful prophet that ever lived. What do I mean? The city of Nineveh was called great because of the size and population. At this point in the history of the world, it's a huge city, over a couple hundred thousand people. And the word says they all got saved, including the king. So Jonah, the most unfaithful prophet, winds up being the most successful prophet. The most faithful prophet, Isaiah, he gets cut in half at the end of his life. Why do I say that? You are not measuring the success of your walk with Christ based on the conditions or measurement of man. Your definition of success is your faithfulness to what he's given you and what you did with it. 
But here's Jonah, and he doesn't even want to be there. This is the truth. It was an honor for Jonah to have this call to speak to that culture and to speak to their sin. And it is an honor for us to be alive right now in a nation and a culture that is running away from God. It's an honor to be light. It's an honor to be salt. But let's talk about that. What does salt do? I've never heard anybody say it this way. Man, you've got to check out this restaurant, this new restaurant in town. They have the best salt I have ever tasted. They've, they, come on over. We got the best salt west of the Mississippi. Nobody's going to come to that. Why? Because it's the salt's role in flavoring the food that gives it its significance, that gives it its purpose. What am I saying? If you are just so disgusted with the culture that you're around, that you won't go to the culture, then you're just salty. You're just being salty. We're called to be salt to the culture that we're in. And the light is the grace that helps them turn. But he's called us to be salt. Not everybody, let's get to church. Let's surround ourselves with walls. Let's worship and hear messages and just get real, real, real salty about the world around us. No, he called us to go, to be salt. Like Jonah, I think some of us have fallen asleep with a hard heart towards our own Nineveh and its leadership. Let me talk about that. Romans 13, 1, this is Paul speaking. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no, everyone say no. Okay, in the Greek, that word means no. None. There's no authority except that which God has established. It repeats it. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Here's the thing. I guarantee you, if Jonah would have had social media back then, I'm sure he would have found a whole lot of people, followers, that could have created their own little echo chamber of opinion that would have hated together the sin of Nineveh, just like he hated it. The unfortunate thing is we have people in churches that are so angry, at least with the, the direction of our nation, that they don't want the world around us to have grace. And some of you are like, no, I, I'm not in that place. I'm not in that place. No, I still love people. I still, I want people to experience salvation. I want people to have an opportunity to repent, all that. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm just gonna test the basic principle of what Paul said. Because one of the things that Paul made very clear through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is we are to pray for those in authority. Okay, well, let's track back 20 years, okay? Some of you prayed Bush Sr., but you didn't pray for Clinton. And some of you prayed for Clinton, 
but you didn't pray for the other bush. And some of you prayed for that bush, but you didn't pray for Obama. And some of you pray for Obama, but you didn't pray for Trump. And some of you pray for Trump. You haven't spent five minutes praying for Biden. If I put his picture up on this screen right now and I said, right now as a church, we're gonna pray for our president. How that makes you feel right now is an indication, I think, of your understanding of the grace that God has shown you. It's not his issue. It's your disconnect from the love that Christ poured out on you. And I'm just as guilty. There have been plenty of leaders in my life where I just said, God, deal with them. Golly. And my prayers are more like, I mean, a little bit of fire and brimstone is not a bad idea right now, God. I like a little Old Testament prayer. You know? Open up the earth. Swallow them up, God. Don't clap, don't clap, don't clap. Here's your sign. You feel that tension? That tension shows us we've got some work to do. That tension shows us we're missing salt and light. That tension shows us God Where did I get disconnected from your grace and mercy that you gave me? Where did I get off track? Paul prayed for Nero. Just research it sometime. Paul is in prison, chained to a wall, praying for this person who put him there. I'll give you some highlights of Nero's life. Nero would put tar on Christians and light them on fire alive to light the palace grounds. He ordered the execution of Paul and of Peter. Those are just some of the headlines. He was evil. He murdered his mother, his wife, and his second wife. Apparently had a trouble finding a third wife. My question is, would you have prayed for Nero? And not, God, bring your judgment. No, God, give them a revelation of your love and your mercy. God, give them wisdom. Give them a sound mind. Bless them. Bless their families. Bless their children. It's clear, God, they're broken, they're lost. They need to encounter you. God, show yourself mightily. God is reaching out to Jonah all the way through this book. God, it's about God 
doing so many things trying to reach Jonah. Jonah keeps saying no. Here's the problem. Jonah had the right belief. He believed. But the wrong action. No prayer. Not seeking God. Not helping. Not really doing anything. The truth is, we can all believe the right things while doing nothing about what we believe. So here's a good question. And I know your feet already hurt. Here's one more for you. If you were put on trial today and accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to find you guilty? What is the evidence right now? Because we say we believe in prayer, but do we pray? We say God can change your life. Has your life clearly changed? We say we have an eternal Lord, and we're going to go to heaven and spend eternity with him. But is he Lord right now? It's by grace that we are saved. So none of us can boast. Before we even recognized who he was, he died for us while we were yet sinners. But his grace empowers us and motivates us towards good works, salt, light. He's called us to it. Amen? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. The word says that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. All of heaven breaks into singing when someone repents. And my prayer is that we would be a church that is constantly joining in with the celebration of heaven because there's so many people finding Jesus, not because they wandered into this church. I'm thankful for when that happens, but no, when we went, when we go, Father, I ask for your forgiveness first. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for allowing myself to watch news and slowly create calluses around my heart. Forgive me, God, for not praying for those in leadership over me, our city, our state, our nation. Father, right now, I lift up President Biden to you. Father God, would you, by the power of your spirit, reveal yourself to him in a way that is undeniable. I pray, Father, and we pray that he would know your love, that he would know your plan and purpose for his life. God, grant him wisdom. God, we lift up Hunter to you. 
God, we pray that he would come to the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. That all of the struggles and things that he clearly has struggled with, God, that he would finally find freedom in Jesus. What about that testimony? God, it's not happening because we're not praying. So forgive me. Forgive me. Some of you might be here right now and you're recognizing that you, you're just right in the middle of Nineveh. You've never experienced the love of Jesus. You've never experienced a genuine relationship with your heavenly father. And I want you to know that he does love you and he is here to meet with you right now. And I know that the Holy Spirit's already been speaking to you. He's been dealing with you. He's been calling your name. Maybe you sensed it a little bit before, but you know right now. And I wanna give you an opportunity to have your then. That this could be your then moment where you finally said, okay, I surrender. If that's you, you know you're away from the Lord. You know you are. Maybe you thought you were close at one point or another in your life, but, but you feel distant. You don't have any kind of peace, confidence about eternity. There's no hope, there's no joy. And if that's you, I wanna pray with you. The word says that if you will confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus died, rose from the grave, that he is Lord, then you can be saved. And I wanna give you an opportunity as a symbol of confessing to say, I'm ready. If that's you, I want you to put your hand right now across this room. I'm ready. I wanna call on Jesus as my Lord, my Savior. Just keep your hand up for a second. I want you to know that I see you and I'm praying with you. As soon as I see you, you can put your hand down. Got it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Yes. 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 Anyone else? I got you, dude. Thanks for being bold, man. God's going to honor that. Anybody else? I know I need to call on Jesus. I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm ready to surrender to him. It's my Lord and my Savior. Anyone else? Okay, I, th I see you guys. Thanks, girls. Anyone else? Okay. I got you, big man. Yes. I got you, dude. Right here. Right towards the back. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Hmm. God is so good. He loves you so stinking much. Gosh. Some of you are just so stinking stubborn. Lay that down right now and see what he does. Put that aside for just a second and see what he does. Give God a chance. Anybody else? 
Father God, thank you so much for being here, for meeting with us, and especially, Lord, for all those, a lot of them, both physically and spiritually, have just said, I need you, God. Maybe a few that didn't raise their hand, but you're, you see them, and you're here to meet with them, and that's what matters. Lord, we know them raising their hand is not salvation, but them choosing to confess that they need you, that's where they find salvation. If you raise your hand, I just want you to pray a prayer like this. Right there in your chair, you just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm lost. I believe that you died on the cross for me to pay the price for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you rose from the grave. You defeated death. You defeated the stronghold of sin so that I can walk in freedom, so that I can fulfill my purpose. And I ask that you would reveal that purpose to me. Heavenly Father, would you lead me? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you help me have a hunger for your word? Would you help me know what it means and to live a life of prayer? Would you help me be connected, Lord? I need friends that believe what I believe. Help me find it. Father, I thank you for being here, for meeting with us. We're humbled by it. And I pray that you would continue to do whatever you need to do. And we're going to let it. We set our agenda aside. Whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.